Welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we have a very special guest, and his name is Aidan Jury from Jenny and Holmes. He is the big boss there, and we are going to deep dive today into stage claim builds. Now, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about turnkey versus what we called progressive payments. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about that side, that latter one. And Aidan from Genian is an expert in these. So we're going to talk all about what you need to know as a property investor. Andrew, take it away. We talk obviously on the show a lot about turnkey bills because that's kind of the model that we've followed for a number of years since we started Opus. And it's what we recommend generally most of the time. But we're entering a market where there's a lot less stock available and we're seeing more build traditional build contracts. And can you just talk us through how is a build contract different from a turnkey build? Yeah, look, Andrew, great question. And it's something that we get asked all the time. So essentially a turnkey build agreement relies on a deposit being made. Often the client doesn't own that land, but uh, the client makes a commitment to settle on that land and that build or that house at the end of the contract, however long that may be. That's good for people that don't have the funding or only have a limited commitment, but it assumes that there's a commitment to settle on that home at the end of that construction of that property. So as opposed to what we call a stage claim build, which means the customer pays a small portion of the funds towards that build at the practical completion point of each component of that build. So for example, the slab goes down, the customer makes a payment for that slab component. The customer makes in a payment for the frames. The frames are up, the trusses are up, they make a payment, and they make a payment when the roof is on. So what you're talking about there is small, often small amounts of money along the way. And that can be anywhere between eight to nine payments, typically in in a Genian contract, or sometimes up to 16 payments. So it's important to study those agreements and make sure that you're only ever paying for the amount of work that is completed at that percentage of that practical completion because it is easy to front end some of these agreements and unfortunately there are some companies that front end payments. Can you just tell us what front end means? It simply means that let's say if you look at a typical build based on my calculations when the roof is on in a house typically about 40% of that work has been completed on that build so you need to make sure you're not paying for any more than that work that's been completed. Gotcha, because otherwise you might end up in a situation where you've overpaid the builder, they go under, and you've paid for 700000 and you've only got 500000 worth of work. Correct, and you go back to the bank and say, look, unfortunately, I've got $300,000 worth of work still to do on my build, and the bank says, well, you've only got 150000 left in your allocated budget, so there's a problem. So it's really important to ask that question, what am I paying and at what point? And can I physically see that I own that bricks and mortar component of the build when I pay for it? Now, if you can be sure you're only paying for work that's been completed, there's almost no risk to the client. How does a customer know, if they don't have any experience in building, that what they're paying for is fair? I would ask the question. I would simply ask for a comparison. Most builders will know how their contract stacks up. A really great place to start is the master build uh, guarantee. And that details the actual stage percentages that are paid along the way. If you look at a residential building contract that our Genian teams would typically use, those percentages are clearly spelled out. And I often have discussions with our team that we're actually not taking enough money at the beginning of the build. 
So we're undercharging ourselves. We would rather be on the comfortable side for the client than take too little as opposed to too much. And in my experience with banks, they're pretty savvy with this stuff now. And there are different products around the place and different ways that banks do it. I think BNZ actually had, from memory, when I was there, it was a long time ago, they used to have actual cameras on site. And so what they would do is actually just go and log in and say, okay, yeah, no, that looks right, the roof is on. Did Janine do anything like that? We have a pretty innovative, what we call a web link for all of our clients to dial in. It's through a an app-based system that we use. Is it build a trend? Uh, and we often give the bank access to that if they wish, and they right. can look at the site photos. They can see an invoice coming through. Certainly our clients see the invoice coming through, and they know that, hey, look, there's my roof on. All looks great, and I'm going to pay that invoice seven days following when the photo's there. We're more than happy. Often the bank has access to look in as well. All clients will share their access with the bank. So there's no surprises for anybody. Plus, the added benefit is that you're really good documentation or quality assurance documentation of that build along the way. Now, it's quite interesting, Aidan, because just recently there's been quite a lot of the media talking about escalation clauses with builders. So builders, after they've experienced some amount of inflation and the cost of materials or the cost of labour, then passing those costs on to people in these sorts of contracts who are building a property. And when we were doing our research for this, and this is what I want to get your opinion on, we were of the opinion that master build contracts left the most, I guess you would say, wiggle room for builders to pass on those sorts of price increases, that sort of construction inflation of the main contracts in New Zealand. Is that a fair assessment or are we missing something? Yeah, look, you know, I, don't, I don't agree with that comment. If you take a master build agreement and if you take that residential building contract and then you look at the guarantees behind it, Firstly, it is actually the biggest contract that's written in the market. Lawyers are signing these off every day. So the single biggest number of contracts being issued in the market in New Zealand, it's almost about 20,000 contracts a year. If you think about the number of consents that are running through, around about 43,000, it's a large percentage of contracts that are running through, coupled with almost the same number of master bill guarantees. You know, the client's actually in a really strong position. So it comes back to your question about uh, the ability with inflation. Believe it or not, one of the things that we need to talk about is PC sums. PC sums are very much controlled by the client. So the majority of PC sums on a job are a client who, let's be fair, most clients will look at a plan and don't always understand what they're getting. Uh, you get into the build, they have a look at it, they can see the roofs up, they can see the scale of the build, and all of a sudden they're looking at the kitchen. Well, the kitchen may not be exactly what they expected. So there's a change to the plan or there's a PC sum with so a variation. What, what does a PC sum stand for? So it stands as a provisional cost. Yep. So what happens is you come along, Andrew, and you're wanting to build a house. Rather than waiting uh, months and months and months till you've finally been to your kitchen manufacturer, you might opt to put an allowance in the bill. I gotcha. And ultimately you go along and you meet a great cabinet maker. You go on the dream. You decide you want to do something differently. Uh, you might decide, hey, we want to put a scullery into the home. That too can be done. But obviously, there's an additional cost on that. So we'll come back to you as the client and give you that opportunity to make that change. But you have to approve that. It's just not something the builder can come back and say, hey, now you pay an extra five, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. Here is the cost difference. Please sign it off. Right. So as long as there is a true and honest relationship and open dialogue between the builder and the client, then there shouldn't be any reason for these disputes that you typically, you know, we're talking about before. 
So Genian's not passing on additional costs from, from building inflation or construction inflation? I look, anybody that says they're not doing that is not telling you the full story. Um, <laughs> guys, you've got to, go, got to go back and understand where that's coming from. Yes. The majority of building product in New Zealand is imported into this country. A container landing in New Zealand previously was costing about $3,000. It's now 10000 you think about all the bricks that are being imported into New Zealand. Yeah. You know, there's not a hell of a lot of bricks in a the container. They're limited by weight. That cost is going into materials. And there's some really quite large uh, rampant inflation with building materials for everybody for materials being imported into New Zealand. So we'll always look at an alternative. So what's the answer? We often say to people, here's the product that's been selected, but let's look at a couple of alternatives that may actually give you the ability to drive some of that cost out. And that's before we think about availability. Often a lot of products at the moment are not even available. You just can't get them. There's a major shortage of product coming into New Zealand. And it's not going to be great for the next 12 to 18 months as we get over what hasn't been helped by this level four lockdown. Looking at this with a completely unbiased lens, what are the added risks of using this model of building? The first question, Andrew, probably to really get your head around is who owns the land? So often people will come along and say, we'd really like to have a house and land package. There's actually no such thing. There used to be one contract, and that one contract would include the land and the build lumped into it. These days, there's two agreements. There's a sale and purchase agreement on the land, whether you're buying that at the beginning or at the conclusion of the turnkey. And then there's a contract of some shape or format that dictates the, the build that's coming in. And in our case, from a genuine perspective, we will only use the residential building contract from master builders. Now, those two go together and one provides security on the other. But if it, you come back and if you, you know, have a look at the risk aspect, quite simply, as a homeowner, you will borrow money at a lesser price than a builder will. Builders are borrowing money at commercial rates. So what will happen is the cost to fund that turnkey will always be netted up and put into the cost of the build and it's amortized over the period of that build. Yeah. Now that happens from day one. Yeah. When, now, if you un understand when I spoke about stage claims, so paying a 5% deposit and 9%, for example, when the slab goes down, you're only paying an interest cost on that smaller incremental amount as the funds are advanced on the job. So I can you know, often work with clients, sit down with a simple spreadsheet and show people that a stage claim type build has less risk in terms of interest costs. But if you don't own the land, then you probably won't be in a position where you can use the land as security, you know, to borrow from a bank for that funding. Because most banks will want the land to advance the stage claims along the way. One provides security for the other. And so if you are making progressive payments and, and something happens to the builder, what happens then? So in a typical instance, presuming that there hasn't been any front ending, you own the build. You own everything to the stage where the work has been completed. You have the right to work, in our instance, with master builders, and you would bring somebody else in to complete the build. Now, let me tell you, just my tiny little sales pitch here, in 40 years, our genuine teams have never ever failed to complete a build. If something happened for whatever reason, somebody got run over by a car, uh, couldn't complete a build, then we just put another crew on it, and they would pick it up at the end of a stage claim where the last stage claim was completed. So that's something we're pretty proud of in 40 years to say there's never, ever not been a home completed. That's awesome. All backed up by those master bill guarantees. And there's almost no risk to the client. 
And are there ways that you can manage these risks? So perhaps, you know, not necessarily in the, the Ginian model, but if, if I'm looking at doing a progressive payment build, what are the things that I should watch out for to just kind of manage that risk? As I said before, understand the percentage of the payment that you're paying at each point. I talked before about a 5% deposit they would take. You know, 5% deposit doesn't cover the cost to get the job through council and get all the plans and get everything onto site. 9% when the slab goes down, a little bit more when the frames go up, a little bit more when the roof goes on. Just check those percentages. Unfortunately, there are some builders around that tend to take more than they're entitled to. But to me, a really good starting point is to look at the published percentages as per that that's out with the Masterville Guarantee. Now, one last question before we wrap up that I've got to ask you as well. So are you suggesting, I've just got the sense that uh, people going through stage claim builds or progressive payment builds and purchasing the land off the developer as well, or does the investor have to come with the land or the bit of dirt that they want to build on? No, there's often sort of three ways that it, that it happens. Firstly, the investor comes along and what we haven't talked about is the amazing opportunity around infill or you know some of that subdivision work that people can do and, and often you know for a very small amount of a development contribution people can utilize the value of the land beneath their feet and they might have an almost free piece of land that they build on client owns that they then come along and they say please mr builder please help me find a design that's going to work best on this site great well that's what we would typically do a lot of the time about a third of what we would build would be clients coming along and saying hey, I like one of your plans. I don't have a piece of land. Can you introduce me to a developer that owns land, a real estate company, or in some cases, land that we've got, and then that sale and purchase agreement is provided on that land. Or the final option, Ed, comes along in terms of somebody owns their land, they have an architectural plan that they've gone out, they've engaged an external third party to develop an architectural plan, and then come along and have that priced. But the house and land solutions that have typically been a large majority of what has been built through New Zealand is no longer what I would say the largest majority of product through New Zealand because people are working to infill type projects and really maximizing that value beneath their feet. And it's a great thing to be able to do if you can. Yeah. Actually, just before we wrap up, Ed, I just want to talk a little bit about how you fund these, because for any listeners of the show who have done a turnkey build, they'll know that it's pretty easy. You draw down 10% from the bank of the contract price, which might be 700000 You're going to buy that property, which isn't finished today. It's going to be finished in the future. When it's complete code of compliance and title, you draw down the other 90% and you settle it. It's a bit more complex with this, but you can save money. So say, for example, you bought, and I'm just using really round numbers just for the sake of making this easy, 400K worth of land and then a 500K build paid in five equal payments. It would never be that, but five equal payments over five months and three months of holding the land I worked on. 400 grand is your mortgage at the start. Three months you hold it, 3% is three grand. Then you've got your 100 grand build, the first instalment, takes you to 500,000. That month is 1250, another 100,000 takes you to 600 for month number three, four, five, $1,500 and then so on. It works out to be a total of $11,750. Now, generally speaking, Adam, what do you think that developers would normally factor in because they're borrowing that money at a commercial rate for a turnkey build? Is it 20 grand, 30 grand? Look, I've seen rates a lot higher than that. And and the first thing, Andrew, to think about is the builder's buying the land. They're having to fund the land, so they're funding 400,000. Yep. And then they're also having to fund 450000 So by the time that build's finished, there's $850,000 worth of funding costs coming from the builder, coming from somewhere, often coming from an overdraft. 
And yeah. we all know what overdraft rates are like versus money that you and I could probably go and borrow or or Ed could borrow privately from a bank at something around that two and a half, three percent, maybe a little bit more if you're fortunate. Yes. One of the things, obviously, you've got to make those installments. Some people can absolutely do that, but there are products available on the market that actually allow you to capitalise that interest, or you can set up a revolving credit facility to cover that. Yes, you're going to pay interest on your interest, but it's it's nominal. You know, that might take it to $12,000. But again, you might save significantly more. That's my argument uh, along the way through. And, and look, don't get me wrong, you know, turnkey is quite a good solution in some areas. And it's something that we do in a number of cases. But Builders can only ever fund a certain amount of turnkeys because, it, to use your example before, you've only got to do a few turnkeys at that $900,000 and you're churning up a lot of cash very quickly. The other point to note that I'd like to make is that when you sign an agreement, and using your analogy before at 900000 the day you sign that agreement, that agreement's starting to typically appreciate. So that house is going up from day one, even though you've still got a house on a piece of paper. From the time the house is handed over, it is worth considerably more. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, why don't you come along to our webinar this coming Tuesday at 7 p.m.? We're going to talk about how to plan out your property portfolio. I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes. So tap or swipe over the cover art. There's going to be a link in there. Or just go to opuspartners.co.nz. You'll be able to sign up. for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ian McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 